The text this morning for the sermon is taken from uh, the epistle. But Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem above is free. Uh, she is our mother. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Uh, we're now into the fourth week of Lent, as of today, Mothering Sunday, also known as Rose Sunday. And uh, what I wish to do is, in part, build upon uh, uh, previous Lenten themes that uh, I and uh, others have preached on. Uh, one issue that we have confronted is the matter of our Lord's performance of miracles, which performance attests to the existence of an unseen world that lay all around us, an unseen world that is inhabited by unseen creatures called angels dashing about like flames of fire. And of course, uh, there are as well those unhappy, uh, lead-footed creatures of rebellion and unrest that we call demons. In particular, we have focused on what we call miracles as evidence not only of the fact of the, this invisible world, but also evidence of Jesus' supreme authority over all things seen and unseen, visible and invisible. <clears throat> the epistle for Rose Sunday is a story that St. Paul narrates, uh, and, and it is the account of God's promise to Abraham, uh, and uh, Abraham and his family, and the promise being that Abraham and his family would be God's instruments of blessing and benediction upon all of creation. Uh, Paul makes the sign of the promise, that is, uh, Abraham's unborn child, uh, the, the center of attention. He does the same thing in the fourth chapter of Romans, uh, as he uploads the weight of the storyline upon the fact that both Abraham and his wife Sarah were well beyond uh, childbearing age. Uh, for Sarah to conceive a child from Abraham's seed would be a miracle uh, in itself, uh, because it is frankly biologically an impossibility. Uh, required a miracle. Uh, a, 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 uh, now, a miracle is an extraordinary event, a startling event that is, at least in principle, observable. Uh, verifiable, and uh, furthermore, that it's an event that cannot be explained in terms of known forces working in the universe. We can't explain it, in other words. That's simply what that means. Uh, therefore, a miracle is an event that is the result of a special act of God doing what no human power can do. Are you all with me? Can you all hear me? Abraham and Sarah did not need to go to see a, a gynecologist to learn that octogenarians were not going to have children. Uh, they knew that. Uh, they're certainly going to have children the old-fashioned way. That's for sure. Uh, not between one another. So Abraham and Sarah decided to lend God a hand. Uh, with a little human engineering uh, and with the help of Sarah's servant, Hagar, who was young 
And who could, with Abraham's help, have children? As I said, the old-fashioned way. And, and so they did. Uh, and she named Abraham's firstborn son Ishmael. The story gets, keeps getting shadier and shadier as it goes on. The problem is, here's the problem. Abraham and Sarah thought of nature and creation like everyone around them did in terms of decay, disintegration, and eventual death. In their world, becoming ends in nothingness. The notion that becoming ends in nothingness has always been around. But there's nothing new or clever about that era. And it is an era, be sure about that, intellectual era that has hideous consequences in life. If you live in a world where becoming ends in nothingness, then it's all up to you to make something out of it. Most existentialism, that of the atheistic brand of the last century, was based on just this notion. And ironically, it was thought uh, to be the really real scientific truth of all nature that everything ends in annihilation. And a lot of people still believe that. So from that perspective, if everything ends in annihilation, uh, to be an authentic person, you have to face your own inevitable extinction and create your own meaning and purpose. Now you see that going on in this story. Uh, you have to be resolute and you have to act while facing ultimate extinction. Time and nature are your enemies. Uh, but as I've said, that way of thinking is inaccurate. Uh, and God means to correct such flawed intellectual constructs that have become the darlings of the modern university and Hollywood. Just watch that connection. Hollywood and the university, they're getting closer and closer. And really, the really real truth of the matter is that becoming ends in being and being blossoms. That's the truth. Becoming ends in being, and being continues to break into blossom. The reality of life is that God has been busy from the beginning, perfecting nature, not annihilating it. So what I want you to see is that God's promise to Abraham that he would give him a child of his own flesh to his own wife, Sarah, is part of the whole deal. And we don't get to reduce it to a fable. This is the other, the other thing. We don't get to reduce these uh, uh, embarrassing stories that uh, we're told are historic events uh, to fables. And the horse, the, uh, the uh, uh, I'm trying to make up a word here, Ken, uh, and I should not do this in public while I'm being recorded, especially. They try to reduce the historicity. Uh, they try to eliminate the historicity of the event. And by the way, when Paul says that this is an allegory, he emphatically means that he's using a historical event as an allegory. It's not the other way around. Uh, it, it, uh, not that the story is merely an allegory. It really is historic. It happened. God's promise to Abraham is part of the whole deal. 
and if you look at it this way, then the miracle of Isaac's birth does not overthrow or destroy nature. Uh, it is not uh, a so-called suspension of nature's laws. Uh, it is a fulfillment. Uh, it's a miracle that actually fulfills, and it's an instance of perfecting nature. The child of the promise, Abraham and uh, Sarah's son, is an instantiation of God's work of perfecting nature and God achieving, bringing about creation's natural finality through his supernatural work, which is what he does. Ishmael, on the other hand, represents, uh, is, uh, is representative of a world in which becoming ends in annihilation. You can't trust God. Uh, he's representative of human self-will. Self-will striving to control the uncontrollable. The truly atheistic existential man who, who is determined to create some grand purpose out of nothing. Because frankly, that's what he believes in. Nothing. But we're not Ishmael, St. Paul says. We are Isaac. We are of the son of the promise who was born not of self-will, but of God and of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's why we pray. We pray to God in heaven, in the Jerusalem above, and we are always looking up as we worship, as we lift up our hearts to the Lord, acknowledging, as I said at the beginning, angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven gathered around God, pleading the blood of the Lamb in the heavenly court. We are pilgrims in this world. We are children of the promise because through baptism, we have been grafted into Jesus Christ. And we are also reminders, this also should remind us, that we are part of a cosmic struggle. Uh, and our relationship with Jesus is not merely private or personal. It's cosmic. We are part of a band of brothers and sisters who have been taught to address God Almighty as our Father. And this God is the one who rules all things visible and invisible. And a little God the God that's offered up mostly today uh, would do us no good at all. Uh, or for that matter, all the so-called authentic, existential, self-generated purpose and resolve in the world is only vanity and foolishness uh, when confronted with our realities today. Our needs and the needs of our families uh, is crushing and self-generated purpose is a puny response. Our needs, our families, our world's needs are greater than the sum of all our self-will, all our social activism, all our good works, all our politics, and our attempts to engineer a better world. Listen to me. We must not forget that it is no accident that every attempt to engineer the human good ends up in a fireball that reduces cities and nations to rubble every time. Evil is not just the nasty little things we say or do to one another. Evil is organized, massive, subtle, cosmic. And you have been 
enlisted by God Almighty in his service as his soldier to fight against that evil. In another place, St. Paul says that our struggle is not against enemies of flesh. That's what we like to do. We, like to, we, we prefer to struggle against enemies of flesh and let's demonize some enemy of flesh and struggle against him or her. Paul says, our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, cosmic powers in this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This narrative that we have looked at this morning is a story of how God keeps his promises. Against all odds, Sarah conceived a child, the child of the promise, and gave birth to Isaac. Hagar's child is born according to self-will and human resolution. Isaac is a son born through the promise of God. Hagar represents Mount Sinai, the Torah, uh, the Jerusalem of Paul's day that was ruled over by apostate Jews and Romans. She and her children are enslaved. But Jerusalem, the Jerusalem which is above is free. And she represents Sarah, uh, the once barren mother of Isaac, the child of the promise. All this has to do with will, self-will or God's will. And I'm going to leave you with one very short quote uh, from C.S. Lewis, who one time wrote, there are two classes of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Thy will be done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.